Are traditional expert calls in the investment world becoming obsolete? According to Stream, they are, and you can access primary research easily and efficiently through their platform. With Stream, you'll have the right insights at your fingertips to make the best investment decisions. They offer a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. But that's not all. Stream also provides the ability to engage with experts one-on-one -on -one and get your calls transcribed free of charge, all for 40% less than you would pay for 20 calls in a traditional expert network model. So if you're looking to optimize your research process and increase ROI on investment research spend, Stream has the solution for you. Head over to their website at streamrg.com to learn more. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Hello, and welcome to the Yet Another Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. If you like this podcast, it would mean a lot if you could follow, subscribe, rate, review it wherever you're watching or listening to it. With me today, I'm happy to have Doug Laughlin. Doug is the founder of two different Mule podcasts, uh, <laughs> Mule Substacks. So I'll include a link to both of them in the show notes. But Doug, how's it going? I'm doing really good. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about a not semi-hooked idea right now. Um, just, just you know, got really obsessed with an idea and I really wanted to talk about it. I think it's super asymmetric. And uh, yeah, but other than that, I'm, I'm doing my best grinding out in these choppy markets. Uh, it's been, it's been a, a tough tape, but uh, one that I'm trying to continue to work at. So, but yeah, I really, how, I, yeah. How quickly did you pull all of your money from Silicon Valley Bank since we last spoke? And were you the number one cause of them going under? No, uh, unfortunately I was not. I think uh, some people on Twitter were, however, but that's a, that's an aside. Um, no. <laughs> um, well, well, hey, let me start this podcast with a, a quick disclaimer. Just remind everyone, nothing on this podcast is investing advice. Always true, but maybe a little more true today because we're going to talk, talk about one idea and I'll go to that idea in a second. But we, we could, you know, every time we've talked, we kind of go off on tangents and we could run the gamut of a hundred different things, a thousand different situations. So everyone should just remember, please do your own work. Uh, this isn't financial advice. Consult a financial advisor, if that makes sense. And it, that out the way, I guess I'll, I'll turn it over. So the company we're going to talk about, you emailed me a couple of weeks ago and we're like, hey, I'm working on this company. It's really juicy. It's not a semiconductor company, but it's like the most exciting thing I'm working on. Can I come on the podcast and talk about it? And I was like, hell yeah, man, come on over. So uh, the company we're going to talk about is AppLovin and uh, I'll just flip it over to you. What is AppLovin? What so got you so excited about it? So AppLovin is a mobile ad, uh, mobile gaming ad company that consists of two segments in the business, essentially a giant portfolio of hyper-casual mobile games, and then this, uh, this software for mobile, uh, for mobile game developers that is primarily an ad tech stack. Mm -hmm. um, what makes me so excited about it is uh, a very aggressive PSU that recently happened um, that looks, uh, one, I thought was curiously timed, but two, the price totals are very impressive. So it's a $16 stock today. The first vesting is $36. Um, that's like a 3X from when they originally granted the stock, uh, uh, the PSU, and um, up to like, like a, I think a four or five X. Um, this is 79, 79 is the very top end of the package. Yep. Yeah, seventy nine is the top end of the package, and um, this is this is supposed to be the comp for the next four years. Um, and and hell, a, a three year, a, a three a three x over four years, pretty good. So all of this all of this comes together, and you're like, wow, this is either the most delusional grant I've ever seen, or something is happening here. And when the board is deciding to, um, I, I mean, the board is trying to incentivize them, but there has to be 
some basis in reality. Now, maybe maybe we're totally off off base here and the board is completely out of touch with reality, but um the shares of this company have traded a lot higher in the past and that's but but at that time it was uh kind of in the software bubble phase and truly it traded at a pretty pretty insane multiple and it was like a 2021 IPO. So so that cohort of stock is down meaningfully and the shares are down I want to say like 85, 90% from all-time highs. But if you look at the company, and, and so like, you know, it's a super busted company, kind of recent IPO. Um, you, It's led by a founder and they do these super aggressive PSUs. And so I was like, hmm, let's take a look. Um, and when I took a look, I was like, oh, there is definitely things going on here that I think are really interesting and create a lot of options for the company to do well. Um, I think the first the first part of it that I think is really interesting is like we're kind of really close to the IDFA lap, uh, right? A- April 2020, um, 2023 is the first full year that we had the lapping of IDFA. Doug, let's just pause there because I think most listeners will know what IDFA is, but obviously that's an acronym. And if you're not plugged into ad tech, you might not 100% know. So why don't you just describe IDFA and what they're lapping? Okay, man. Honestly, I, I don't even remember what the acronym stands for, but essentially, um, the I think it's identification. Yeah, I can't remember. It's okay. something. Happened, I, it's also sometimes referred to as ATT. Um, the uh, so essentially, what happens is I'm sure you see this if you are an Apple user, which I'm going to assume most of our uh, most of the podcast over indexes to that. Whenever you um, whenever you go into a into an app, you can app, you can press. Uh, ask a app to not track, right? And that that's one of the big things. That's like the huge thing. And so I think like 60, 70% of users say, don't track me. Um, and this really killed a lot of the insight and targetability that uh, ad tech had for users. And so it created like, it created this like huge data wasteland where all of a sudden you used to have all these metrics that, that you could target your, your advertise, uh, your potential customers with, but all of those kind of got uh, taken away from you. And so that really ruined ad tech in a lot of ways, right? Like the, the more niche targeted solutions, essentially, um, why would you spend in a completely unproven way? So in a lot of a lot of different ways, um, the IDFA thing kind of just ruined the ad tech market for um, a lot of profit pools. Now, um, this actually creates a really interesting knock-on and th- that I'll talk about. But but at, at the high level, um, this is the beginning of the IDF, IDFA lap. Um, so that in, in theory, if if they have some, you know, if it's um, going to stabilize, the comp should get better. That's that's one way to look at it. Um, if you look at their actual software business, uh, they grew last year meaningfully. So I don't think that that's the only thing that they have uh, going. But I think the thing that um, got me most excited is that I started to do a lot of work on this. And I was like, why? You know, because you're just like, what do you guys, what could you possibly be seeing? And the thing I think that they're seeing is that um, there has actually been a really subtle thing that has happened to them that has kind of put them in the driver's seat compared to historically. Um, one, there's consolidation. It's pretty much become Iron Source and Unity versus Apple Oven. Those are the two big dogs in, in, a, in a market called mediation. Mediation essentially is, um, and this is really important to this whole thesis, so we have to talk a lot about this. Um, mediation is real-time bidding on a per um, unit of advertisement uh, within an app. So historically, it was called waterfall, uh, uh, a waterfall method. And that means, let's say, um, and this is gonna, we're going to use mobile games because most of their business is mobile games, right? Um, uh, they would serve an ad on a mobile games, and then the ad would come up, and they would sell the, the ad slot, right? Because the publisher is selling the slot. Um, and they would sell it to the exchange that would, on average, offer the highest price. But that actually doesn't really create the best per unit economics, right? Every every ad slot should be bid on. And so that's that's what real-time bidding is. Um, 
And and the thing is, the problem is you have to if you're a publisher, you have to you have to plug your um your inventory slot into all these different uh all these different bidders and try to be able to real time sort all the bids at the same time. That is impossible for one company to do, and so that's where mediation came in. Mediation essentially is um, a service sold to publishers that helps improve the um, it helps. It does all of that for them. So every single time, now you go on a mobile game uh, and, and an advertisement slot pops up. Uh, the advertisement slot, if it's done by mediation, is being done in real-time bidding. So every slot is being bid on. Um, and that creates much higher yields and much better revenue for the publishers. And it, it just it's just a more efficient auction dynamic. Um, so let me let me just pause there to make sure we've got the business and make sure the the listeners understand the business because I've looked at App Love and Unity and Iron Shore several times over the year and even today I'm like uh, so basically what it is is I am Candy Crush right I make Candy Crush and one of the ways Candy Crush, one of the many ways Candy Crush monetizes is if you're playing for free you know every I, I haven't played Candy Crush since it came out but every five levels they're going to hit you with an ad or something right a little ad and you have to press x or if you tap on it you can go download whatever normally game they're advertising right so that's generally how candy that's one of the ways candy crush is going to monetize what app loving and unity say is look candy crush if you really want you can go try and build your own ad network but similar to what everyone found with search networks and search advertising and everything that's going to be really inefficient it's probably going to, you're going to make a lot more money if you let us handle getting all these advertisers, you know, we have to go connect with a hundred different game publishers and get everything in real time, everything. We'll handle the ad. You just say, Hey, here's an ad slot. And we'll instantly go run an auction and supply whoever the highest bidder is. We'll give that ad. So that's what they're doing. They're basically connecting a game with an ad slot to all these bidders, connecting the two of them, and then just taking a fee. Uh, perfect. That's a perfect explanation. And sometimes the double explanation is really help, helpful to like actually understand what's going on. Well, um, well you got I all mean, this, you got all the specifics and technicals. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's candy crush. Yeah. That, that's yeah. Giving, giving a really good high level example is really helpful. Um, and so there's actually this really, and, and this is like a required reading. If you are interested in this thesis is um, it's by mobile De- dev memo. And it's called Why Mediation is the Primary Front in the Mobile Advertising Wars Post-ATT. And this was something that really opened my eyes and made me understand what's really going on here, that I think that um, the market maybe underappreciates and why there is... Um, and so remember, Iron Source uh, got bought by Unity, and that's like, Unity is the game the game engine. And so they're like, you know, they are the evil empire in terms of this. And then App Lovin is most is just the software side of things. Um, and there's competitive dy- dynamics between them, but, but it's really consolidated into... Two, maybe I think there's up to four players, but it's really two big players and two trail players with consolidation moving to the bigger players. Um, but the thing that's important is in this world, so the auction house dynamic is maybe the best way to describe this. Um, you're in a big auction house. And in the past, everyone was sitting in a, an open seating. And so you could see who's bidding on what. You can understand what, what you're bidding on. But now everyone is a private bidder. So no one has an understanding of the bidding auction dynamics. And the only person who actually understands um, the what is being bid on and the prices for it is the is the supply side. So the auctioneer now is the only one with the full set of information because in the in the past you could sit there and you there were uh, data sources you could buy that would tell you what type of user this was, how valuable they were, um, and and that was kind of market information. But since ID IDFA kind of took that ability away, now the most um, the, the most complete set of information is everyone's approximation. So each DSP, uh, demand side platform, like just think of each bidder is bidding on the value of this ad 
for um, this ad slot. And they're, they're, uh, when they bid, they're making an estimate of how valuable that ad slot is and how valuable that user is. Now, there's a lot of different ways they can come at it, right? Contextual, whatever. They're, they're like Everyone has their own set. But when you're on the SSP side, when you're on the mediation side, you're sitting there and you're receiving all the bids. And now one of the things that is, and one of, and this is like from the piece, one of the things that's been completely cut out of the ecosystem is the ability to understand the average LTV of these players. These cut, these, um, but on the other side, if you're sitting and you're getting all the bids, you can actually create an average bid because you have the full, the most full information set. So it's created this data advantage that is um, primarily being accrued to the mediation players. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Are traditional expert calls in the investment world becoming obsolete? According to Stream, they are. And you can access primary research easily and efficiently through their platform. With Stream, you'll have the right insights at your fingertips to make the best investment decisions. They offer a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. But that's not all. Stream also provides the ability to engage with experts one-on-one and get your calls transcribed free of charge, all for 40% less than you would pay for 20 calls in a traditional expert network model. So if you're looking to optimize your research process and increase ROI on investment research spend, Stream has the solution for you. Head over to their website at streamrg.com to learn more. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Oh, so I, so in our Candy Crush example, what would happen is uh, App Lovin', you know, they serve as the supply side for maybe not Candy Crush, but for someone, it, it, App Lovin' would get, you know, five bids and one's 10 cents for this customer one and every every other one is two cents to make the the numbers really easy right so that's interesting of its own but you know the the bidder would only know hey my bid won with 10 cent with 10 cents the game person would only know hey it was 10 cents but app lovin has data and says oh look at that everyone else thought this customer was worth two cents these guys thought it was worth 10 cents the average comes out to about four cents like they've got that that's really interesting and they can start to develop obviously i'm simplifying and using an extreme example where one's better is 5x everyone else but they can start using all of that information to tangentialize especially when you apply it over hundreds of thousands of different ads they can figure out all sorts of other things with that data yes and one of the reasons why this is really important is because this auctioneer is also buying and selling ads right um in 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 the auctioneer uh in the auctioneer example we're assuming the auctioneer isn't buying buying and selling ads, but, but app loving is buying and selling ads. So they have yep. a demand side platform. They have, um, which they have a user acquisition platform. And then, and they also have, you know, they, and they also have like this full like supply and demand side platform. It's very, it's very opaque. Welcome to ad tech. Um, but they, they play on both sides of the spectrum and they also have a closed loop, uh, ad exchange as well. So all of a sudden they have a, a meaningful data advantage and they have a closed loop ad exchange. Um, this creates a big data information advantage that I think that they're going to be able to exploit going forward. And they're one of the few players with this data, um, with this data available to them. Iron source obviously is the other one. Um, and so I think the thing that maybe is lost on on public markets is that their business has slightly ever so slightly improved competitive in competitive positioning. Now, to be fair, the business itself, we, I understand ad tech, this is hard. The multiples are maybe justifiably where they should be, but but you look at it and you're like, okay, there's like, you know, take everything, um, the complexity away. You look at it and you're like, this business seems to have consolidated meaningfully um, into Iron Source and Unity and, and App Lovin'. And they are the, um, and also App Lovin' 
is meaningfully ahead of Iron Source in the mediation game. And, um, you know, you can go do expert calls on this. Essentially, Apple Oven has just has seems seemingly an execution advantage and they continue to um, ship faster and and kind of take share. And they have always been the leader leader in mediation. So um, the heuristic is they're, they're about a 60 percent market share in mediation. Um, and so all of a sudden consolidation, relative advantage, all these things are happening. Their, their software business the, this entire time, by the way, did not shrink. Like IDFA, as, as bad as it was for, for the, you know, the open ecosystem of advertising, their business grew meaningfully in 2022. Now, going forward, um, you know, I understand the problems with, with some of the comps and, and how, how, how do we know what it can grow? But I think that there is a real chance that the forward-looking numbers are going to be much better than the expectations the market has kind of put there. I think that, um, and, and what's also important to note in this is that there's also another side of their business that really um, doesn't matter quite as much as it used to, and they're trying to sell. So they have, so in the process of making this ad tech stack, they, they were making all these products and, and they're like, hey, look, you should try our, our software because it's so good. Um, but they couldn't convince anyone to share with them because they're like, why would we share with you? Like, why would we do that? So what they did is they actually bought hundreds and hundreds of games. They scaled their whole supply ad tech network themselves. And then they started to use, you know, they dog fooded their own product. And all of a sudden- I was going to say dog fooded yeah, their own product. Yeah, you yeah, said yeah, yeah, the they, yeah, they, they, they dog fooded their own product. And it, I mean, it's frankly pretty impressive. Like they did it kind of backwards, which is really rare to see. They were like, okay, we have this product. We think it's good. We're going to acquire hundreds of companies, become one of the largest software, uh, become one of the largest mobile games developers just to be able to, to, to bootstrap this software uh, product. And let's say 2021, um, to now the software business was much like, like 2020, it was about one third, two thirds in, in EBITDA terms, um, software to mobile games. Now today it's more like uh three fourths, one fourth. And so this, like when, when they were going public, the whole bull case was predicated on, you know, the software business becoming a lot bigger then becoming more mature. And, and what happened was the bull case happened. Like the software business has taken on, on its life of its own. And now they're actually trying to sell um, the the mobile games business. Now that is TBD. I don't. They've they've been taught. They've been talking about a strategic review and trying to sell the games for a long time. I don't know if they are going to now because they they've really they've really moved the EBITDA margins on these things. So they've really made them more cash flow businesses. And even though the revenue has shrunk meaningfully, so I, you know revenue has in in absolute terms uh, decreased year over year, but EBITDA has increased or essentially stayed flat in um, in the the mobile game side of the business, which I think is really impressive, but you know, that's an aside. Um, I, I, I just want to know, I, I'm just laughing. You mentioned the games and I, I knew they had the game, but I hadn't thought to look uh, at some of the games. So some of the games you might've seen like ads for game of war or mobile strike. I think mobile strikes, the one where they had Arnold Schwarzenegger pitching it for a while. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, like, so one of their things is machine zone is one of their games. And it, just the front of it is we're the destination to kick ass. That's like on a publicly traded companies. That's the front of their website or they have uh, another one is Lion Studios, which has like yep. a knockoff Wordle and all these really like silly games that you would definitely get clickbaited into ad advertising. But just I was looking at those and I had to laugh because I saw this. So it, please continue. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, you've no, got I mean, to share kick ass when you can. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually have, um, I think, some of the largest um, match. So essentially other than um, the Candy Crush, like Mashington Mansion. Um, there, there's like a lot of other weird and, and like word games they're really strong in. So these hyper casual games. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so these hyper casual games were probably the poster child of 
pan- pandemic success, right? Because all of a sudden we have a lot of time to burn and we're at home. Our screen time quadruples year over year. Um, one of the biggest incremental ga- uh, inflows during 2020 and 2021 was um, hyper casual games. So yep. it, it created it created this giant boom market that obviously was unsustainable. And um, App Lovin was valued on boom market valuation with a boom market revenue. So so I understand why. Like you know, it was I want to say like 20 times, 20 30 times EBITDA on something that was like clearly unsustainable, and it was like a one time. But in this process, this gave them all the fi- financial wherewithal and ability to what they always wanted in the end, which was this software business. And I think the software business is inherently valuable. The take rates there seem to be much higher than a traditional SSP. It's something like 20 to 25%. So they're like, and that isn't the only metric of quality in ad tech, but it is directional to the value that they're giving. They're, and they they meaningfully have executed and done a really impressive job. Um, and, and I actually want to... S- maybe take a second to talk about the iron source versus app loving dynamics. Cause I no, that, that actually, yeah. that's great. Cause if I can just jump in, I'll prime you. Cause you're about to take the, one of the next questions out of my mouth. Look, one of the ways I know app loving is from last year, unity, their big competitor offers to buy iron source, a very big premium deal. And app loving steps in with what I think was a really ill thought of uh, acquisition offer from what I can remember. And I, I can go through the basics, but you know, they, they offered uh, unity. It was like barely a premium deal. And they offered them, part in stock and part in non-voting stock. And they were valuing the non-voting stock, which was a new share of stock uh, at the same as the vote. It, it was a very strange deal. And I think a lot of people at the time saw this and said, what's happening is App Lovin thinks that the Unity Iron Source merger is a killer for them and will take a lot of share. And they're tr- they're just lobbying in a Hail Mary bid to try to break this up, which failed. So uh, I, I've rambled a little bit. I'll, I'll let you pause because it is important story, right? A, it consolidated the market a lot, which could be good, but B, the, the way they responded to the merger kind of indicated maybe they thought there were some strategic issues with it. So uh, please go ahead. Oh, yeah. So uh, this is actually, this is a huge part of the story, right? So whatever the Unity Iron Source deal went through, I think AppLovin has taken essentially a straight line down since. Unity has to a certain extent as well, because the valuation has really come in. But AppLovin uh, was, if, from memory, was 45 when the deal happened. They made their offer. The stock went down on the offer because it was going to be pretty dilutive. And since then, as you said, it's gone straight down to 16. Now the stock, the whole market's gone down and, and all that type of stuff too. But they are down a lot more on a kind of alpha beta adjusted metric. Yeah. Yeah, they were essentially, um, my understanding is their their enterprise values were very similar. And uh, the the CEO, for better or for worse, is a deal CEO. Like he really is. Yes, um, I'm sure. So I, I essentially, I think what he saw at the time was like, hey, there's, um, Unity is kind of the same size as us. Like, let's let's uh, be the fish that ate the whale kind of vibe. Um, because Unity is one of the most uh, valuable things in the entire gaming ecosystem. And you can talk, like, for better or for worse, they're pretty bad at ads and really good at the gaming, um, uh, the gaming side of things. And so they thought, hey, Iron Source will shore us up. Um, what's actually happened is kind of a little interesting um, because Iron Source was always the number two player, and uh, they continue to kind of be the number two player. It's really um, one of the, the the big things that you know expert network- networks will talk to you about this, but um, essentially. Uh, Iron Source just doesn't have the plugin to the Google network at all, yep. actually. Um, and so, you if you're bidding on Google uh, on the Google side, demand side for um, mobile games, your your bids will just not go through uh, to Iron Source. So so right now they're mostly done with app um, with app loving. And so for whatever reason, and and whatever reason, they still haven't got this together. So every quarter this goes along, you're like, what is happening? And so this is one of these like really slight things where I think market share is is made, if that makes sense. Um, The historical 
overweight of Google will probably be good for them going forward. Um, and also Google's ecosystem took, had a huge inflow of money because of how bad the Apple ecosystem got hit. So there is this kind of interesting dynamic where you're like, wait, can you explain to me why Iron Source hasn't been hasn't been given a bidding right to the Google uh, Google network? It's still the last time I checked, it, at least it's still not that way. And Google actually did um, a, a press release today uh, talking about how um, Max uh, essentially talking about how Google bidding is now available to all Max developers. Um, and 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 essentially it, it talks about. Um, improving and they actually they actually uh it's an open be uh, beta available to all app uh all of the mediation platforms we know that historically google bidding is strongest and the beta was probably first done to app love and so there's this interesting dynamic here of iron source has actually lost share this entire time um on a relative basis and one of the things that uh like i highlight this in the write-up is um they actually they actually um they actually launched something called Axon. Axon is their machine learning model or whatever. And in the in the course of like two or three quarters, their revenue went from like 90% year over year to like 300% year over year. There, um, I, there was this- hmm? I was just, they launched Axon several years ago. And I, I think you're driving Axon 2.0 is coming out, but just so, yeah. so people know, it's not like a recent thing. They actually launched several years ago. And then Axon 2.0, I think is actually the cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah, Axon. And the thing that's interesting is now they're launching Axon 2. And so the competitive dynamic seems to be that even after the um, Unity Iron Source deal, App Loving is still beating the crap out of um, out of uh, Iron Source. And um, also, I thought it was really interesting and maybe missed by the investor community. There's like a giant scandal during the Iron Source acquisition um, because Unity has just, uh, has been uh, did announced the layoff, then bought Iron Source the next week. And there was also um, an interview with the CEO. Uh, the CEO is the former EA Games uh, CEO when everyone hated EA. I love EA. this line in the write-up. It's yep. so freaking funny because he literally he goes on this uh, he goes on this um, the 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 actual interview has been deleted since by the way. Um, but everyone has the quotes to it. But he essentially calls um, all game developers who don't want to monetize their their product uh, fucking idiots. Like that is that is a, a direct quote. And so um, at the time, everyone's really pissed off. They fire, uh, you know, all the game developers are like, you guys aren't really even working on the game engine. You're just calling us fucking idiots and you're firing people and then you're buying Iron Source. So there, th this created like this level of maybe, and this was in June, um, this level of distraction uh, uh, that I think that is maybe underappreciated because right now I would guess Unity is mostly trying to put out fires, not um, and obviously integrate Iron Source. Meanwhile, and, and integrate. I was going to say they're they're doing a big integration. Guess what? Integrations mergers are distracting, and I mean App Lovin did just buy Mopub, so they, they and they are a deal roll up in themselves. But you've got the that big integration that that that's risk, but that's also opportunity for your competitors. Yeah, yeah, and so and for context, and I want to put like the differences here because I think this is this is maybe like like kind of like and this is soft stuff, right? Um, so they did the Mopub acquisition. They shut it down in five months. So they had it like, you know, they, they bought it and five months are like, okay, good to go. We moved everyone over to App Lovin, um, uh, to the App Lovin network. We're good to go. Five months, all done, tidied up. And it's like truly impressive levels of execution and time. So I think App Lovin actually has, um, at least historically and with all the things that were available to look at, has um, really good execution. And and so like, this is, this is all to say, um, I think App Lovin is not quite as busted as people think. And if you look at the software business, I think that it can easily grow, let's say, a 15 to 20% revenue caker, right? That is usually pretty valuable. And, and it seems to be the leader in its space. That's usually pretty valuable in um, ad tech. But if you look at the company, um, it trades for like seven and a half times EBITDA. Um, now, free cash flow is a little bit messier, but it, it looks 
really easy to pencil in a lot of upside if you believe that this thing can continue to grow and that as software continues to become a larger part of the business, which is pretty easy to underwrite, their, their um, EBITDA margin will start to approach the software mar uh, margin. So software, the software business made 70% EBITDA last year. They expect it to be something like 65%. Going forward, I expect 65, eventually, maybe 70. Um, and so I think that there's this really interesting dynamic here where the app loving software business, I don't think is worth six to seven times EBITDA. Let, and, let me and, ask, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, for and like it's not a trade desk because comping anything to trade desk will make any company really expensive. But like for context, I think trade desk is like one and a half time, uh, one and a half billion dollars of revenue, and the app loving business is something like the the software business in 2023 is going to be 1.4. I mean, I think I so it's like one one is like one one billion in 2022 versus trade desk. Uh, 1.4 billion in 2022. I think, and 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 you know, the difference here is like Trade Desk is 40 billion dollars, and Apple Oven is like six six billion dollars in market cap. So there's this ace. There's this, and and should it trade a Trade Desk? Hell no. But it clearly isn't a total dog of a property. It trades for, but it trades like a total dog. In fact, it's like one of the cheapest companies in like a a, a comp set. Right. Um, even companies like Magnite, Platica, which is a, a pure play games developer, trades at a higher EBITDA margin, uh, EBITDA multiple than they do. So um, I and, and and there seems to be levers to be pulled, um, mostly the Axon launch that is coming up soon that I think is really exciting because last time they launched Axon, they took a lot of share. Um, logic has maybe the next time they launch Axon, the, the improvement, they will take more share. And this time they have more data from the mediation side that I think will give them um, a better data advantage than they had last time. So anyway, sorry. No, 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 let me ask a few questions here. First, number one, I just realized I grabbed the wrong hat off uh, the rack when I was putting my hat on for the podcast. Did you get the Yet Another Value podcast Yes, hat? I do. I have it. I Neither have it of us are wearing our hats. This is insanity. This is insanity. Uh, but <laughs> if you want, we can, pause it. we can pause it and both come back with the hat. Nah, no, um, we, we're professionals. We're just going to have to power through with the wrong hats. But let me let me ask you, uh, so, hey, I really like the way you framed it in your, your write-up. You know, like, I, I think people could get, if they've just been listening here, and let's say they've been listening while they're cooking dinner or something, so this is on in the background, like, people people could probably grab a few things here, right? Like, we started out by, we're talking founder-led, who just took a crazy aggressive PSU grant, right? The stock literally needs to more than double in the next four to five years in order for him to hit the lowest end of this. And guess what? If stock doubles over four to five years, you're going to be pretty happy, right? And that's, mm -hmm. again, the lowest end. So a founder took a very aggressive stock. We've talked about multiple different levers to pull in a consolidating industry that should be at, you know, post IDFA, like, I don't think anybody thinks people are going to spend less times on their smartphones. I don't think anybody thinks people are going to spend less time in the game. So you've got consolidation, weak comps lap, and a growing industry and a duopoly. And we've got a reasonable multiple. Like, I, I think that should have signed through for every shine through for everyone. I've got a bunch of other questions I want, but I just want to start with one question. What is the market missing, right? Every single person I know, uh, two years ago, Unity was literally the hottest stock on earth. This is the this is a comp. Everybody's looked at AppLovin. It is big enough that anyone can cover it. It's a sexy growth industry. Like anyone can look at this. What is the market missing that it's kind of smacking that you've got this thing that is trading at a value multiple despite all these different growth levers? So um, I, I do think that this is a left for dead stock. Um, and as time went on, people started to realize uh, there was cracks in the castle, right? Like one of the big ones is that um, the games business was unsustainable, right? Game The games business started to go down 30, 40% a year, still continue to shrink. I think by some sensor tower data, you think it looks like it might've troughed in Q4. I think that that... There, 
it looks like that market is starting to stabilize out. Hypercasual, which is where most of the games business is, um, is the most left for dead, most screwed up business in the entire um, mobile games industry, or actually entire gaming industry, right? Um, it really is probably the worst property. And so um, high level, hypercasual sucks, app love and dead, right? Like that's like the one way to put it. Put it. And, and, and let's say in 2021, um, that would be a fair, fair assumption to make, right? That was the majority of revenue. In fact, that was like, you know, I, I would say like not just the majority of revenue, that was like 75% of the revenue. But you fast forward a few years and all of a sudden it's 50-50 revenue of software and um and games, and the software business has a lot more EBITDA. And so I think that the thought process here is that people haven't really updated what the business shift. Um, because the entire time when people were were, you know, revenue was going down, or I actually revenue was flat in 2022, which is mind-boggling to me. Like that's just crazy because you know, their big segment goes down 18%, their small segment goes up 50%. Revenue is flat essentially. Is um, that adjusted for the Mopab acquisition? Uh, I, I actually I don't know. Um, I don't know if that has those numbers in there. I think I think no. I think I, I think that is not adjusted for the so okay. no. Because uh, so, so, there was also some complication where they had to give payments to yep. get people to transfer yep. from Mopub to the yeah 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 so and that that hurt in your term profitability as well so this thing has a lot of like there is a lot of hair on this to be clear um, but I think the price is maybe a place finally at a place where I think there's a lot of safety in it if that makes sense you know price is your margin of safety um, the company makes free cash flow. Um, the com- you know, the company is buying back shares right now as well. And let, let me ju- let me jump on the share buyback because that actually was my next question. So uh, anyone can go through the 10K, right? They buy back just shy of $340 million of stock uh, throughout 2022, and their average price is in the high 30s. And in Q4, they don't buy a single share back despite having plenty of cash. And an analyst even asked them on the call, hey, like you guys didn't buy any shares back in Q4. You guys are cash flow generative. You've got a billion dollars of cash on the balance sheet. I, I believe management even said, hey, our bar for M&A right now is really high because we see value in the stock. And I, I think analysts, perhaps probably rightly, were looking at it and saying, okay, the bar is high, your stock is down and you're not buying back shares. You were buying it uh, you know, 120% higher a couple months ago. What gives? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because the, the comment that they push back is that they want to increase their cash balance, which um, that is a typical deal deal response, right? Um, I I don't I don't know why. Maybe part of it is that they they're they have a like because at the same time that this is also happening, the the games business is is in strategic review. So if that happens, if they sell the games business, then they would have a huge chunk of cash. Maybe the thought process then is like a hyper level, like a tender or something. I don't know. And that's that's actually something that I've I've been thinking quite a bit about because I'm like um you know, if, if it if it is so cheap, which I think it is, why why no repurchases in Q4? Because they did repurchase three hundred million dollars throughout the year, but not in Q4. Um, I I don't know. Um, this might be where where price, frankly, m- might um dictate sentiment. If that makes sense, unfortunately, um, maybe they continue to see the price the share price in free fall, and they're like, screw it, we just need more cash. Um, I I don't know because I'm really I I think that because like. If you think you can, they're going to sell their games business, then all of a sudden they're sitting on, I think the games business is worth like a billion or something. That's another incremental billion in cash. Um, but they do have some debt maturities. Like they, they are um, a little different in, in most companies in terms of the fact that they have a lot of debt on the, on, uh, relative to most companies, their size or their growth profile or their historic, you know, let's say a, a, a traditional Silicon Valley company that uh, hyper growth, you know, the hyper growth uh, cohort usually has cash. 
um, not very much debt, and the shares have gone down a ton because the you know yep. because the multiples come in. Um, they they had ca- they had um, they had debt the entire time, and and not only they they have debt, they like to do these acquisitions. So maybe the thought process there is there's some kind of um, war chest for the debt the debt maturities coming up. Um, but I don't think it is quite. Um, you're you're right because I'm like I was kind of frustrated by that as well because you're like um why are you doing this while also giving giving just insane PSU grants? Like it's like a million shares per per tranche. So it's like, a, you know, like just the two, just the two of them, I think, get something, get, get like some insane number, like, you know, it's it's 12 million shares total. That, that would dilute the entire cap structure by like, I, don't, I need to see how many shares are outstanding, but like there's only, yeah. So, I mean, just with what they do, what they have, that is like a 3% dilution in, in just PSUs, right? Yep, just this PSU package. Um, that's not that's not too bad though, because they did say, "Hey, this is your PSU grant. This is like five years, four, years, four years, yeah, rolled into one." So say, "Hey, you know, top exec at this growthy tech company diluting by three percent over uh, over multiple years." That doesn't seem too crazy. And like you know, if we get that dilution, the stock will have at least doubled. Again, not yeah. absolutely yeah. crazy. Maybe not the best. But, at, the, but at the same time, when they're sitting on cash. Why not buy back shares if you're, hey, if you're I, so I'm, amped up? Let me morph that into my next question. So we started talking PSUs and grants. I do think there is, you could look at this company and make an argument, hey, the PSU grant is great. It really incentivized them. These guys already own hundreds of and hundreds of millions of shares. But I, I do kind of worry if it's like heads for them, they win. Tails for Tails. them, they break even or something. Because, uh, you know. They are adjusted EBITDA positive, right? A billion dollars in adjusted EBITDA in 2022. And guess what? You know, everybody, people have started including stock comp and taking it out of adjusted EBITDA. Stock comp was 200 million ish in 2022. So take it out of the billion, still $800 million in uh, EBITDA. There are some publisher bonuses that I think you need to think about, but this is a free cash flow generous business. But I do think people might look and say, hey, you know, one way to game the kind of uh, stock comp ad deck thing would be to grant all your options once every five years, kind of try to time it around the stock price and then say, oh, you know, once every five years, we add that back. But for the next couple of years, investors won't go look at that because our stock comp will be low. So you just kind of bulk it all into one thing. And I wonder if investors look say, hey, you know, they tried to time this. This is heads they win, tails they lose. And two or three years, if the stock hasn't gone up, guess what? They'll just adjust and grant another again. one. And yeah. by the way, they won't have reported any stock comp in the meantime because they did it all once and people you know, they won't add back. So I just wonder if there's like that type of game. And again, these guys, they're very incentivized. They own hundreds of millions. KKR still owns 20%. I think this is the biggest win KKR ever had, if I remember correctly. It is the biggest win they've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like these guys are incentivized, but I just, I I just kind of wonder if you're, you know, you're playing a game where the deck is really stacked for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's actually part. So, so, um, part of the, the analysis here is that actually, if you look at the grants, um, he he gifted almost the entire like as much shares as he could into a few revoke uh, a few trusts essentially and it, within the trust he sold them down. I think one of the reasons why uh, the board would be upset is because uh, he really does not own that much shares compared to what he used to own. Um, and and now with this PSU package, he's required to hold it. If that makes sense. So thought process here is maybe that the the CEO doesn't really have the skin in the game that he used to, and this is this is a way to increase the skin in the game for the first um, essentially after cashing out. Um, I, I really, that was another question I was going to ask. Just if you look through 2022, I mean, these guys are just hammering the stock all the way down insider sales and it goes 
even as far as, you know, they start 2022 in like the 80 range, even in December, when the stock is in the 11s, you see the CEO selling $25 million worth of share. You see the CTO selling $25 million worth of shares. And like, yeah, they still own a lot. And yeah, it looks like these were just, uh, you know, 10B51 sales, they, they, they're selling huge amounts. So you kind of yeah. look at them and wonder, hey, they're just getting gifted upside where they're cashing out. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest thing I'm uh, concerned about with this with this write up, right? I think in a lot of ways this this is um, this is very asymmetric, right? And a, like in many ways, it's tilted against you. The valuation really does feel at the low end. Um, the you you can see where there's levers to pull that you think that their um, their business can get stronger. There's a lot of ways that um, and in in so if your stock is an option, why don't you write your management team options as well, right? Like that's kind of that's kind of like I guess the the concern here, um, and that's where that's where this gets really hard to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I, I am pretty cognizant of that, but I do think that um, in terms of like things that are bombed out where I think the future might not be as dim as people think it is, is this is probably a pretty good place to look. I think ad tech in general hits that. So the, the I, one other thing we haven't even mentioned, uh, well, we haven't talked about the connected CV opportunity, which we can in a second, but the one other thing, like ad rates got crushed throughout 2022. They're still like, they're way down from a couple of years ago. And it, you know, obviously 2021 was a really hot market, but if you just think about like, Hey, once we lap Silicon Valley bank and like everything stabilizes and maybe we're in recession, maybe we're not, but like, once you get to kind of, I would guess normalized rates are higher than they were running in Q4 and Q1. And like, once you get to normalize ad rates, their earnings should go up on that too. So not only do you get all those tailwinds we talked about, you probably have like some just normalization of the ad market not being the worst it's been in six years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also part of the reason why this is timed and sized the way it is as well. Is big. Um, it, and so if you think about this way, the board is the board is definitely thinking this is bottom calling. And um, for better or for worse, uh, when you see these kind of packages, there's two, there's two worlds of these kind of packages as um and so for context uh, I, I i do a lot of governance things with a lot of people you know i talk with non-gap talk with a few other of my friends like this is not a completely solely sourced idea uh, there's definitely like a little bit of a, a teamwork effort really looking over the governance universe um and i've looked at a lot of these and there's there's kind of two two um two types of these uh true hail marys and um where you look at the business and you're like um i i don't see a single way out of this like like you look at it, the stock is just going down. They're super levered. You're like, what is it? A debt refi? Like you just look at it and you're like, I like the most creative thinking possible cannot find me a way to the other side of this. Um, and those guys will grant all the way into the hole. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a zero, right? Or, or, or just like a totally terrible outcome. I think the reason why this is so attractive to me is because it has the ex- extremely asymmetric price uh, vesting, but. But unlike the other, you know, and this is like maybe a context that I can't really give on a podcast really well, but like, unlike some of the other Hail Mary grants, there are levers, there's clear levers, there's clear normalization, there's clear, like the, the stock itself is justified, like arguably cheap. Um, one that you can maybe underwrite with like, you know, I, I did a DCF for this one and like, you know, the fair value on this thing, it, assuming some very unheroic like like the the price implied is around like a 25% discount rate. So you're like there's a lot of things going right here. You know, sometimes you're like you do all this work on on looking at these Hail Mary grants and you're like I I just don't see it. There's this is a Hail Mary. I think that this is um th- there are levers to pull and clearly they want to incentivize them so that if they pull the correct levers they get paid. And so I think and, that's and, why yeah. Oh, and I was just and you pointed out uh 
Yes, they get paid. But if you look, the chair of the compensation committee is, I believe, the last nominee from KKR who owns 20% of this. Obviously, private equity is very, and this is one thing non-GAAP has always highlighted, private equity is very familiar with using the nominating committee to reward people, reward key employees and that sort of stuff at the right time, grant awards. You know, private equity is not in the business, especially when they have the most successful exit in firm history. They're not in the business of pissing those executives off. You would have to think that if they're granting these, yes, they want the alignment, yes, they, but you would have to think they're granting this super aggressive uh, thing with some view that at least the low side of it's attainable. And, you know, another person on the compensation committee is the lead independent director who is uh, the CEO of Win. And if I remember correctly, Win has also been known to play these types of granting games. I can't remember for sure, but something's tickling in the back of my head that they can. So, you know, there, not only do you have the KKR who definitely knows the play, but you've got another member of the compensation compensation committee who I think has played this type of games before as well in his own personal life. So suggests yeah. to you that they're probably stacking the deck a little bit. You, 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 when you stack the deck like this, you want to, um, like, like it's not in KKR's interest to just, um, pit, piss a, a Hail Mary grant away. Right. Like where it's like, Hey, this, this is extremely upside. Like, you know, we're going to, we're going to massively reward insiders here while I sit on the compensation committee chair, uh, the comp chair. I think that there, um, there is at least a path to get better. Um, another, another opportunity that we really haven't talked about is world, the CTV, um, the CTV yeah. call option, truly. Um, but I mean, they hit uh, in the proxy. It looks like they hit their 2022 estimates of what, like $75 million. So like, it's clear that that, that is another little engine that is cranking away too. And I also want to maybe point, uh, take a step back and point out that um, Adam is a deal CEO and he's actually pulled all, off a lot of really good deals. Max, I thought was internal. No, Max was acquired in 2017. So um, their, their hit rate of, of these acquisitions have been, surprisingly good like truly surprisingly good um acquiring their way all the way into the with the with the games um even most of the software acquisitions have been money good and i think that um there are levers to pull and i think that they understand compensation too within these companies um one thing uh you should maybe read on the the call for for the acquisition for world it was really interesting because it was like it was very dark artsy in that same way as well because um you're, you're on the call and they're like well if they hit 500 million dollars in revenue uh, yeah. in 2025 but with a certain ebitda we're gonna give them a 600 million dollar payout total and you're like wait what the f-? like that's that's like essentially half the economics of this business but but at the, so so at the same time i also understand because um, if you make a five hundred million dollars CTV business over the course of you know three or four years, that maybe rightfully deserves some compensation. So I think that Applevin got, seems. Hmm? Yeah, I, uh, if you make a five hundred million CTV business, you probably created what between five billion to a ten billion dollar business. So if you pay them three hundred million, that's actually money really well spent. Yeah, but but you know it's it's within this like it's in the same kind of payout metric of what. What would happen? Like they, I feel like the risk reward for the world founders is kind of similar to what would happen if they were to do this standalone, yep. right? Now they have the they they they're getting the crazy outcome option with the same, um, but within the the big portfolio with a little bit more stability and some place to land and expand. And so I think that that the the guys here know what they're doing at least to incentivize and create these um these opportunities that that seem to be money good, if it makes sense. Max was truly from nowhere and obviously a leader in its space when it got acquired. But when it got acquired, um, most of the people stayed around and continued to execute and, and, and created this opportunity, created the business that it is today. And I, so, I, so I think that it's all part of um, the secret sauce of Apple Oven might be, uh, honestly, a lot of thoughtfulness about compensation. That's And that's that's something that I think about a lot is that this, these guys are not 
these guys are not unaware of how this works. That if you if you put a big carrot in front of them, um, the the donkey runs a little faster, right? Like, just one more thing on the PSU grant, which I think is the thing that interests you in this. I've seen these types of PSU grants before. I've written them up. I know you've seen them. You've written them up. Something interesting, and off the top of my head, I can't remember someone else doing it. You can tell me if I'm wrong here. But you know, so the the CEO and the uh, the other key guy get CTO. about seven in the CTO get 6.9 million shares each. Right. And they, again, $36 is the strike price to hit the very lowest end. But as part of it, the, the board also authorizes another rounded up to 3.5 million shares and says, Hey, CEO, you can give these 3.5 million PSUs to any, uh, any of your other key execs that you want at your own discretion. And in general, with these PSU type deals, I've generally seen them go to the top one to three people. I haven't seen them go to like multiple people at the senior executive level. Like it seems like they're setting this up to do. And again, that would just be one more thing. Look, 3.4 million shares at $36 per share. That's which is the low end. That's a hundred million dollars of shares to, to gift. If I'm doing that math in my head, right. I hope I'm doing the yes. math in my head. Right? Yeah. I think but, yeah, uh, the, the math that, is in there. Yeah. Uh, the, so the 3.4 million, they have to hit 79 to hit. So it would actually be a lot higher. It would be uh 700,000 at 36, but that's still a significant chunk of change. But, you know, I just, the fact that they're giving to stop my ramblings, the fact that they're giving them to more than just the top two doesn't suggest to me, this is hail Mary. It suggests to me, Hey, we think now's an attractive time to put that carrot in front of people. This is an execution business, right? We have to execute. We have to grow. We have to keep delivering. If we don't, we will get crushed, but we see an attractive opportunity. We see an attractive price. Let's incentivize all of our top guys to kind of run out and get that carrot. Yeah. Yeah. I think they want to unbreak the, the, the broken IPO. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the way you do it. And I think the incentive, the, the incentivization to like relevel uh, when things are down is really important. And I think that right now for the first time in a while, you can look, you know, like the, the incentives are obviously a lot higher from here, but you know, the stock also traded um, a lot higher relatively recently, right. Middle of last year, it's a 35, it's a $36 stock. So that's, that's the lower it's the lower end of the the the, the vesting, and I think that um, some of the other interesting things is the four year the four year hurdle might actually be a little bit in their favor if they think they can hit it sooner, right? And um, you have a sell signal, by the way, um, because it says uh, until until this is done, this comp plan is done. Um, whenever we restrike a comp, the comp package um, that's you know that we're gonna you know if they I think they can restrike before four years, but it's intended to be the the payment for the next four years. The restrike to me probably means that hey our 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 work here is done. If that makes sense, we pulled all the levers that the board saw, and I think that's really important. And um, I've seen this actually happen before. Um, the, the first restrike after a, an aggressive PSU um, comes in two ways: uh, an extremely dog between the tails, RSU heavy, uh, time vesting, just like you can tell the. They're just like, whatever, we screw that up. Or it comes in the way of um, just like more vanilla um, because they hit they hit the price hurdle and it's like, okay, we're going to... So I, I think that's also a very interesting signal on how this works out because the, the compensation committee is part of the board. The board knows what's happening. They have some kind of plan view of the outcome here. And I think that that's a really good way to read into how valuable they view their own options um, in, in the business, not, you know, not the company, not you know, the, the actual stock. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Are traditional expert calls in the investment world becoming obsolete? According to Stream, they are. And you can access primary research easily and efficiently through their platform. 
With Stream, you'll have the right insights at your fingertips to make the best investment decisions. They offer a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. But that's not all. Stream also provides the ability to engage with experts one-on-one and get your calls transcribed free of charge, all for 40% less than you would pay for 20 calls in a traditional expert network model. So if you're looking to optimize your research process and increase ROI on investment research spend, Stream has the solution for you. Head over to their website at streamrg.com to learn more. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. The other thing I was just going to, you know, if you think about this, we mentioned the world earnout, right? Where, where the world founders can earn, I think it's up to 600 million in equity if they hit a bunch of performance targets between 23, 24, and 25, if I'm remembering you right up correctly. If you think about these units, they're struck with a four or five year vest. They're struck this year. So they'll invest in 27, right? By 27, world alone will have paid out, right? And world, it, you know, if it does 500 million in revenue and close in, it's going to be worth all of the market cap today, basically, right? Maybe I'm rounding too too aggressively. Maybe I'm being a little too conservative, but it'll be worth all the market cap. And then you'll get all the rest of the businesses. Like these guys struck this right before the options really start paying off. And by by the time these realize, you're going to know if the options pay off or right. And, uh, you know, I think they struck them. Again, options are not guaranteed, but I think they struck them and they saw advantageous timing, advantageous price, all these things that they think are going well are about to start kicking in. It just all makes sense. Doug, I think we have gone through a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know, this is the tough thing with, we, we spent almost an hour on an ad tech business. We could probably spend, I'm no ad tech expert, but we yeah. could probably spend the next an hour a day for the next month going over the ad tech business. But anything else you think we we didn't cover that you think we should have hit on or anything we kind of gloss over you think we should have hit on harder? Um, I just think, oh, I, I think maybe something that we might not have talked about uh, that much is the strategic optionality of selling the games business. Um, because that's been for sale, possibly. I think it's not likely at this point because it's been... You know, it's, you, you, you slapped a 5x EBITDA multiple on it. And to me, it's just like, hey, why sell something for 5x EBITDA when it's really cash flow generative? It probably has synergies with your core business. As you said, you dog fooded this business. You can dog food new, new products and new stuff. I, I get like... Probably the it, bottom of it too. And I think it's been, I think the article you released where they said they were reviewing selling the games business was from March, 2022, if I remember yes. correctly. It's, so it's, it's been, been over a, while. a year and I would just guess, I guess it's I, not happening if it's been I, over a year, but I do I think, hear you on that. I, I think that's an option that I don't think we talked about, if that makes sense. And also for context, um, they did shut down some of the games too. So like yeah. part of, part of it is they did pull back some of the levers. They, they, you know, they actually had, a, I think they even had like a management buyout for some of these games. So they really wanted, they, they did re- right size it to a certain extent but i think that there might be um more more rabbits to pull out of that hat if that makes sense something i don't think we um we talked much about that i think um maybe maybe the axon 2 thing i think is um and you can see in the write-up they, they just took like they took like 50 bits of no like 25 bit uh points of share within like two years essentially yeah. after launching it it really is you know they they're like hey uh we launched this new product called axon and, um, you know, at, you know, the next quarter they grow, like, you know, they move from 90 to 200% revenue year over year. And they're like, we gain share because of our new product launch called Axon. And they did this for like a few quarters. And they're like, all of our re- revenue growth is mostly because, because of our new product called Axon. And on this, on the earnings calls right now, they're like, we plan to launch Axon 2 in 2023. So that's, I, and, and I mean, maybe that's the only, that's like the real big lever that we're thinking here, that they're thinking, but there's clearly... There's clearly some levers to pull, and I think that between Axon, between Whirl, between ID, like like ad tech lapping, there's there's a lot of 
positive ways for them to pull off the PSU grants. Um, yep. And evaluation that is just really undemanding, right? Like seven times forward EBITDA, making cash flow, um, growing. I think that all these things together kind of put, um, and the PSU kind of, you know, investing is really hard, but I would like, you know, if you give me, you know, 20 of these, I will swing at these because there's a lot of things in your favor. We're not, we don't have perfect information, but I think that with the information given to us and the price as some kind of margin of safety, I think that all of these things together really do create something that's really interesting, super asymmetric, and seems a lot more um, company-driven specific levers to pull than, let's just say, the broader market. And I mean, with a stock that is beaten up like this, I think that... um there's, there's a lot of ways to win. So that, that's like the high level how I think about it. You know, the other lever they could pull that we didn't even talk about. Axon 2, Axon was using machine learning to improve their bidding. They have not come out and started screaming, we're using AI, we're using yeah. AI, give us yeah. an AI multiple. They, there's they just, the lever. <laughs> is it, they, they need to be like, um, ChatGPT is also part of our, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Actually, the 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 AI stuff that they're using apparently was relatively simplistic, and it like crushed it. Like so, so it really shows like I guess the value of it. You know, well done, simple things really crush it. I mean, it took a lot of share, and I think yep. that um, you know, they talk about this on the calls. Um, AI as a you know as a discipline has improved meaningfully since. Um, so I'm gonna guess that those shares that were given to you know to Adam to incentivize whoever. I'm gonna get some of those are definitely gonna be to the AI people to figure it out and create an algorithm that I think. It's really powerful and using their mediation thing. So, so once again, another lever to pull, and it clearly is um, a place where it, it's a lot better than it than it has been. So, I, I just think it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I just I really wanted to talk about this idea because I just think it's like it's really creative, it's really different, it's super beaten up. People have a lot of PTSD on this name, um, and I think that um, it it it's compelling. So perfect. Well, hey, I am going to, uh, for people who want to learn more, uh, I'm going to include a link to your write-up. It's behind paywall. It's on the new Mules Musings substack, yeah. which is different than the uh, Fabricated Knowledge substack. But I'll include a link to that. I appreciate you coming on for the third time. For the fourth time, we're both going to remember to wear the proper wear the hats. Yeah. Uh, also, I will probably be uh, releasing it out of paywall after after a few months. I think that's like okay. that's kind of that's kind of the, the thought process I'm going to have going forward. I think with some of these, especially the long write-ups, you know, I want to. You know, and I, I talked about most of the most of it today, honestly, what's what's in front, what's behind the paywall. But I think that um, just just for, you know, the people who people support me and I mean, and to be clear, passion project, love governance, think they're good ideas, but it's a it's a, it's a research service. So, um, so we're taping this May 3rd. I think uh, I think they report earnings next week. So this could quickly look very smart, yeah, very silly, or very stupid. Happening. It's somewhere yeah. in between. Right. And I feel like uh, the, uh, the odds are it's, it's going one way or the other. So, um, or it could say, it could say flat. Who knows? That's how stocks work. <laughs> That's the tough thing about the stock market. Who knows? But Doug, I appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to the fourth time with proper ads and we will chat soon. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. A quick disclaimer, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Guests or the hosts may have positions in any of the stocks mentioned during this podcast. Please do your own work and consult a financial advisor. Thanks.